0: Snop Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Wednesday, the 4th of August. Tom Tilly with you, joined by Katrina Blouse, who's in lockdown in Brisbane. How's it going there, Katrina?
1: Yeah, joining you guys in the rest of the country in lockdown. Mm. I'm great because I just got out of ISO, which, you know, you think lockdown's bad and then you go to ISO. So back in regular lockdown now, I can walk around the block. So my daughter's school was named as a close contact exposure site and we all have mm. to wait until we test in negative. But I can go to Woolies now, so life is good. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we'll get to it, I guess, in more detail in a sec, but it's really hit the school community in Brisbane, which must be uh, quite concerning. Mm. Later in the briefing, we're going to talk to an outback vet who's watching a deadly dog disease spreading through bush
2: communities. It's been really confronting a lot of dogs dying, but, you know, foot and mouth gets in. We'll draw a line across the Tropic of Capricorn and we'll shoot everything north of it with a hoof.
0: Yeah, he says this new disease, uh, E. canis, could be like COVID for dogs. More on that in just a moment. First, here are the big stories of today.
1: Awesome. Great news. We all need great news today on the Olympics. The Kookaburras, our men's hockey team, are through the finals and our men's basketball team are going to face the US team in the semis after both teams won yesterday.
0: Yeah, the Kookaburras beat Germany and will face off with Belgium for gold and that's the first time we've been in gold medal contention in men's hockey since 2004. And the boomers thrashed Argentina 97-59 to 59 with Paddy Mills top scoring 18 points. So it's going to be super exciting and kind of intense to see them play the U.S.
1: Oh, it'll be so good. The Opals, which is the women's basketball team, will also play the U.S. in their quarterfinals, while Peter Bowl will be running for gold in the mm. finals of the 800 metres tonight. Not that we needed any more reasons to stay up late, hey? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so looking forward to seeing him run. He was amazing in semis, um, leading out with so much class. Uh, and it looks like we're going to win another sailing gold medal in the men's season. 70 class today.
1: But you know, a little bit of controversy about mm. the behaviour of the men's football and rugby seven squads. They were accused of some drunken antics, Tom, on their flight mm. back to Australia on Friday. Lots of heavy drinking, apparently, according to the Japan Airlines staff, and some uh, some vomit in the toilets mm. and, and reports of athletes stealing alcohol from the galley.
0: Right. Yeah. Vomiting on a plane during a pandemic, it doesn't really sound... COVID safe, doesn't it? COVID
1: safe. No, not at all. And I'm also concerned because they all had to wear masks about just how messy that got.
0: Mm, Interesting. Yeah. Look, normally people at the Olympics drink a lot after they finish (laughs) competing. So I don't see that necessarily as a massive problem. But if they've breached COVID protocols, it probably goes to another level.
1: Well, the Prime Minister has released the scientific modelling behind that roadmap for Australia's COVID recovery, admitting restrictions will need to remain even when vaccination rates are high.
0: That plan is based on common sense precautions that prevail and it is based on a pathway on vaccination that provides the protection necessary. Scott Morrison speaking yesterday, he was joined by scientists from the Doherty Institute to give a lot more detail on their modelling what we're talking about there is the restrictions that will still be used and the measures in place like isolation, quarantining, contact tracing, uh, even when vaccination rates are as high as 80%.
1: Yeah, so those figures are being used to shape that four-phase COVID recovery plan you've probably heard a lot about since the PM announced that at National Cabinet last Friday. Uh, Professor Jodie McVernon from the Doherty Institute also saying Australia's vaccine strategy now needs to focus more on people who are under the age of 40. We've heard it a lot about older Australians getting vaccinated, but she reckons that they're the ones, younger people, who are now spreading more of the virus. It's really the 20
3: to 39 years category who are the peak spreaders and they will bring COVID home to their children. They will take it home to their own parents.
0: Yeah, super spreaders. So um, Lieutenant General John Fruin, the commander of the vaccine rollout, says he's got a plan to start vaccinating people in their 30s from next month and people in their 20s from October. And many of them are already out getting the AstraZeneca jab in recent weeks. So hopefully we'll see that cohort increase their vaccination rates and that'll reduce the spread.
1: On that topic, in Queensland, the Chief Health Officer is now reversing her warnings about young people getting the AZ jab after 16 more Delta cases in Brisbane yesterday. At least nine of those were kids.
0: Right. So that's a big turnaround for Jeanette Young.
1: Mm, It is because she was saying just keep it to over 60s, but we're getting a whole stack more AstraZeneca here in Queensland now because we're all in lockdown, of course, and because it has spread through some of Brisbane's biggest schools. Uh, Dr Young had earlier said it was too risky for anyone under 60 to get Mm. AstraZeneca, but she says that current situation changes things.
0: Yeah, well, that's right. It is the risk versus reward trade-off, and that changes as the risk of getting COVID goes up. Um, So that's interesting to see that from her. In New South Wales, Gladys Berejiklian's given a bit more detail on the level of vaccination needed to start easing restrictions in that state at the end of August. On the weekend, she started saying At 50%, we'd see some restrictions ease. Now she's fleshing that out with a bit more detail.
1: Six million jabs is roughly half the population with at least one or two doses. Uh, That gives us additional options as to what life looks like on the 29th of August.
0: So that actually sounds achievable because New South Wales is already at four million doses or just shy of that, and they've ramped up the rollout to uh, 500,000 a week. So getting to six million in the (sighs) next three and a half weeks sounds almost achievable.
1: Does that give you a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, Tom? Do you sort of feel a bit of optimism now that you've got those numbers?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think it puts the focus on vaccination rather than the daily case numbers, which have plateau, but they're still too high at 199. But it does give a sense that there's a pathway out of this. Um, they're talking about potentially letting people go back to gyms at the end of the month in a very careful COVID-safe way, also Mm. outdoor dining, but they were working on a roadmap for how we were going to relax this lockdown when the time came, but they've been pushing back the public release of that.
1: Meanwhile, in the city of Wuhan, where you'll remember COVID first emerged in 2019, doesn't that seem like a lifetime ago? It will test all of its 11 million residents for COVID after Delta variant cases were uncovered in the city.
0: Yeah, officials say the city in central China hadn't seen any local transmissions for a year before confirming uh, eight new local cases yesterday. And they're believed to be linked to an outbreak of Delta that's led to lockdowns in more than 20 other Chinese cities.
1: So there's concerns that the virus is spreading. It's the domestic tourist season over there. So lots of people out and about on holidays and uh, isolating and testing millions of people in other cities is underway.
0: Telstra's announced that all of its payphones will now become free to use. So I guess they're not payphones phones anymore, are they? <laughs>
1: no, it's an oxymoron. Uh, that company still has 15,000 pay phones across the country, which I've got to say, uh, maybe I'm just used to seeing them so I don't notice mm. them anymore. And they're still being used for around 11 million calls oh. per year, which is, you know, they say that in, like, instances like, say, domestic violence or emergencies, mm. um, that's when pay phones really come into their own.
0: Yeah, it's a strange thought to, to not have to pay for them, isn't it? There's just something weird about that.
1: So there are some limits. You can only talk for six hours and you can't <laughs> ring overseas. <laughs> but imagine the prank calls that are going to be happening oh, now.
0: <laughs> don't give people the idea. Wow, well, yeah, six hours is plenty enough to um, prank someone. All right, Katrina, we'll catch you later. Uh, Annika's jumping back in as we look at Ecanis, a disease-sweeping outback dog communities. Could Australian dogs be about to face their own COVID-style contagion? Lock up your Dalmatians, Annika.
3: Ah, Tom, what is the equivalent of AstraZeneca for puppies? I need it immediately. Look, I am a dog owner and Australia has one of the highest pet ownership rates in the world with almost two thirds of us owning a domestic animal. And of course, dogs are the most popular option.
0: Yeah, so those millions of dog owners are being warned about a new deadly canine disease called E. Canis. It was previously only seen in remote parts of Australia, but it's threatening to spread into Australian backyards in our cities.
3: It was first identified in the Kimberley region in May 2020, but concerned vets say it's starting to spread and could become like the coronavirus for dogs.
0: Yeah, it's being compared to radiation sickness where the bacteria seeks out bone marrow, kidney and liver. And the vet you're about to meet says it's already killing thousands of dogs a day in outback areas. Campbell Costello's a vet based in Alice Springs. Campbell, thanks for joining us. Tell us where this started.
2: We have no idea We do believe that the disease maybe came in the Darwin or Kimberley area. Uh, We don't believe it came to the MPA or Northern Peninsula area of Northern Queensland.
0: Where was it first noticed exactly and where did it go to from there?
2: So it was first noticed in Halls Creek in Kununurra in May, 2020. And it was confirmed on blood tests there by um, private veterinarians. Uh, Then a week later, it was confirmed in Catherine in the Northern Territory but we suspect that it had been there for a long time prior to that.
3: It can be spread through basic dog ticks, which are quite common. So can you tell us, I guess, one, how common ticks are and how concerning it is that this is how it's spreading?
2: Yeah, you're exactly right. The brown dog tick is the vector. We've had some basic models and maps done. Those ticks are south of the Tropic of Capricorn, Uh, all across Northern Territory, Western Australia, Queensland, New South Wales, and possibly we are suspicious Northern Victoria. With the wetter weather that we've seen with La Nina, warmer temperatures that we see, that tick distribution is spreading further and further to where we thought it was. Within 14 months, we've seen this disease be detected in Kununurra, and then spread all across WA, Northern Territory, majority of SA, a first case in Victoria and Horsham a couple of weeks ago, and then last week in Queensland. It spread so quickly.
3: So a lot of dog owners would be familiar with regular ticks. How long does it actually need to attach in order to spread that bacteria into your dog's bloodstream?
2: So lycia canis only needs uh, the brown dog tick to attach for about an hour to be able to regurgitate the infection into the dog's bloodstream.
0: Okay, so you said before that it started off in those very remote communities in the very remote parts of the Kimberley, then you found it in the Northern Territory, and now it's spread into a number of other states. Just how far has it spread, and how far along the way is it to reaching domestic pets in our big cities where there's such huge numbers?
2: We have no idea. There's just no vets out and about in some of these isolated areas, Uh, a serious lack of funding to actually establish, well, it's probably in Queensland uh, or New South Wales, but actually confirming that is a real problem. Last week, the case in Queensland was, I believe Northern Queensland, somewhere near Cairns, but because of the movements of people, this case had been in Northern Territory on holiday, traveling holiday with their pet. So, you know, someone can be an endemic hot zone such as Northern Territory today, they can be in Cairns, they can be halfway to Brisbane within a day.
0: So is it fair to say that so far it hasn't reached a major town or city? That we know of, right.
2: yes. Because this disease, you know, we can call it the great pretender. It looks like so many other things. It can appear as, oh, my dog's not eating or my dog's bleeding out of its nose So, or my dog is just can't clot and hemorrhages anywhere. So there's a possibility that this disease could be out and about. We just haven't seen it yet.
3: As a dog owner, it's the last thing you want to hear. I have a dog and this worries me so much. So what are the symptoms you should look out for? And, you know, if you do start to see them, how long do you have to get help?
2: I've had a lot of cases in the Northern Territory that are just like, oh, my dog hasn't eaten for a day or two. It's vomited, it's drinking a lot of water or urinating a lot more than normal. Uh, It's lethargic right up to severe clinical signs such as uh, nosebleeds, bleeding out of needle sites, uh, uveitis, so smoky blue eyes, up to extreme and and sudden seizures and and death. Our message is clear on this that uh, prevention is going to be the best step for dogs getting sick and from spreading it. So, a combination of the monthly NexGuard or Brevecto tablets. People are wondering why we keep pushing more products. That product alone doesn't give us coverage. Uh, with that product, the tick can still attach for three hours till it gets enough of the poison to die. The tick only needs an hour to infect the dog. That's the Pandora's box with it. So, we combine that with a collar and a repellent. Those two products together give us about 98% protection.
0: So you're one of the loudest voices sounding the alarm on Ecanis. Is anyone else speaking up? What's being done about it and is it going anywhere near far enough?
2: Yeah, I I have made a a bit of a racket last year. I was up in Arnhem Land and and watched the wave come uh, that was in, in the bush. I was servicing several Indigenous communities up there and just watched it come. I think veterinary science, you know, we get busy in our work and we don't talk about this. I guess for me, we've seen published literature for the last decade and more, especially on rabies and Australia's underpreparedness for a major disease incursion such as this. You can beat rabies to the start line. It got in here and there has been very little awareness about it. There's been very little narrative talking about it in areas that are affected and areas that may become infected. And that really concerns me. And I feel this has been a test run for other diseases that are, you know, sitting just north of our borders in Southeast Asia and Papua New Guinea. You know, E. Canis, as I said, we had everything here. All we needed to add was the disease. Well, that's going to be the same for rabies foot and mouth, African swine fever, African horse sickness. We have the pig, we have the bat and we have the climate and we have the isolation. If something like that was to get in, oh, it'd be disastrous.
3: So it seems to have emerged not long after COVID really hit Australia. We've seen border closures over the last 18 months between different states. How is it actually getting out? Is it still just along those tourist and, and trucking trails?
2: We're going to see wild dogs and stuff shifting the tick and its disease around. This disease travels well and human input and cars and things travelling around is just helping it so much easier.
0: Until COVID hit, I think a lot of Australians had been a little bit too relaxed about the risk of a pandemic. Um, that's obviously changed now, probably brought a whole new level of concern and awareness. Do you think there are any parallels between Ecanis and COVID, I mean, obviously one to clear up is whether it could be passed on to humans, but otherwise the way it spreads, the danger posed, the restrictions might be used. Are there any other comparisons?
2: Oh, 100%. You know, I'd have to say in certain areas that I've been and my colleagues have been, it's been worse than COVID for our doggo friends. It's absolutely not before with dogs in certain areas. You know, some Indigenous communities and urban communities In the top end, uh, we're seeing a shift from people traditionally being uh, dog owners to cat owning households because they're just sick of watching their dogs die. Some of the data that we have on communities, we've seen up to 60, 70% of dogs pass. It's been absolutely so destructive and we are worried in certain areas, there is a risk that this is zoonotic, that the ticks may, you know, in the perfect scenario. So in, in regional and indigenous Australia, overpopulation, lots of dogs, lots of ticks, that it could infect people. Literature does suggest there is a very small, but in the perfect setting, a risk of it getting to human beings. So, Mm. yes, this is the COVID for dogs, but worse. I think, especially up in the Northern Territory where we have been a bit insulated from the COVID outbreaks on the East Coast, there's complacency there and to diseases in general, including the tick sickness. I'm seeing a lot of evidence, you know, the dog movements across borders at the moment um, have been, uh, yeah, have been quite high. And a lot of those dogs haven't been on any any um, preventative measures at all.
3: So you're indicating that state governments aren't doing enough with COVID. We've seen them um, take some pretty strong measures on borders to protect humans. What more can we see from both state governments in terms of keeping their borders sealed, but also that biosecurity threat federally, what would you like to see both levels of government do to make sure that, one, this doesn't spread, but, two, we don't get something else in the future?
2: There's been no awareness about this. Like, you know, you can drive across a state border and there's heaps and heaps of signs, you know, about getting your um, your COVID movements mapped. There's nothing for biosecurity. Like in WA, for example, when you go into Kununurra, that's probably the only place where, even before this Cars and trucks are regularly stopped and everything inspected. That just doesn't happen anymore. You know, I remember as a kid growing up and watching Stever when, you know, quarantine matters and it being such an important issue. And now where we've seen a lot of funding get pulled out of state, federal, and uh, biosecurity measures everywhere. We are very, very worried about the next disease coming. It's 170 kilometres from the tip of Queensland to PNG. It's 500 kilometres from Kimberley to East Timor and 700 kilometres from Darwin to East Timor. You know, I know when I'm up in my plane, between two and 900,000 feet, you'll start smashing bugs on the windshield. Some of those bugs have got on thermals and come over from Southeast Asia, we're just so worried about the next disease coming out. Mm -hmm. Canis is bad and it's been really confronting a lot of dogs dying, but, you know, your foot and mouth gets in. We'll draw a line across the Tropic of Capricorn and we'll shoot everything north of it with a hoof. Like... Mm -hmm. African horse sickness means 95% mentality in any horse, you know, where the little midge that carries it gets about. Rabies, like, it'll kill a lot of animals, but it'll kill a lot of people in community. Like, Care Flight and RFDS will not get people to hospitals in time. Mm. This is a problem. Mm. <laughs> that message isn't getting out and about.
0: Campbell Costello, a vet in Alice Springs, sounding the alarm on E. Canis. An interesting, Annika, that it could be grey nomads travelling with their dogs between cities and these outback areas that could be a big part of the problem if this is going to spread to those highly
3: populated areas. I feel like you're setting me up to have a whack at boomers, but (laughs) yes, a lot of them who are travelling around, they can't go overseas at the moment, in the caravans, driving it back into more populated areas. So if you know someone who's doing this, and it's not only old people that are doing this, anybody who may be listening, be careful. That's Mm. how it's getting back in, and we all need to be on really high alert.
0: Tomorrow on the briefing, the story of Australia's biggest ever corporate takeover an amazing tech unicorn. We're talking about Afterpay. Listener.